Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. And I want to talk today about the idea that we have rules and laws around us. If you think about it, wherever you go uh, and you see this in signage, you see the signs posted up everywhere, there are rules and laws and signs that sort of govern your behavior. They tell you, do this, don't do that, can't you read the signs, right? Like you see the signs, they go, you're, you're allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do this. Um, and and, and that's, that stuff is all over the place, and we've just kind of accepted that that is a part of life. I actually found a couple signs, and there's loads of them online if you want to lose yourself down like a Google hole later today, but there's loads of funny signs, and I found a couple that I really liked, and I just want to show them to to you uh, on the screen. The first one is about the rules about getting in the pool. Um, basically, one rule about, you know, hey, y'all, watch this, right? Um, I actually thought about that because so much of Richmond area looks like a pool right now. It's been pretty wild. Uh, the flooding, I, I, I was out of town all week, came back in yesterday, and as I was driving in on, on I-95, I looked over and I saw on exit ramps, I saw cars totally flooded over with water, like covered up. It's pretty wild what's going on right now. So there's the pool rules. Um, there's another one, uh, there, there's, a, there's another sign about stop signs. I want to show you this one. Um, this is the stop sign with the other stop sign next to it, uh, which, is, which is pretty weird. Uh, someone didn't really think that one through. And then uh, finally, this one about touching, touching wires. Uh, and I think this one's maybe from a foreign country, right? But uh, that's, that's pretty fantastic because the wires cause death and a $200 fine. So they will get you somehow. And, well, there are signs like this all over the place that, that, that regulate our behavior. Um, in addition to laws that drive those signs, we have rules. And rules aren't laws necessarily. It's not legal action against you. But there are rules of what you can and can't do. Things like... No, shoe, no, no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service, right? You see that now on, on businesses. And that's kind of stuff has been around for a long time. These are, these are rules. And, and part of you just has to accept that that's the way it is. Like, hey, if I want to go into your business, these are the rules I have to follow. I'm not allowed to be belligerent or I'm not allowed, you know, the things you can and can't do. They're not necessarily laws. They're just rules that govern our behavior, and we have a lot of those. Uh, another way of, of thinking about those, or actually there's one more, let me give you. Not only are there laws and rules, there are executive orders, which is a whole nother level of, of stuff that I didn't really think about. I've read more executive orders from the desk of our governor this year than I've read in my entire life. But the, it's not a law, it's not necessarily a rule, it's just an executive order. This is the way it shall be in the commonwealth, that kind of thing. So I've read that kind of stuff. So we have all of those things. And another way of saying rules and laws and, and executive orders is to say these things are constraints. These are constraints on our behavior. They're telling us the things that we can and can't do. And, and they feel like a lot of times constraints can feel like constraints on our freedom, which people get real worked up about. Oh, man, it's America. It's my freedom. Why are you putting these limits on me? But if you think about it, not all constraints are a bad thing. Some constraints are actually a good thing. Uh, for example, uh, there are speed limits. Like speed limit, that's a good thing, right? It, it's, it's a good thing that we have them because I don't want everybody driving 
other, other people in cars. I don't want them driving whatever they happen to be feel like driving in that moment, right? Stop signs are actually a good thing, right? When we get to an intersection, I don't want to wing it. I don't want to figure out, well, is it my turn? Is it your turn? How am I feeling? I'm going. Like, we don't want to play that game. Uh, Anti-discrimination laws are a good thing. These are constraints on our behavior to say, hey, you need to let people get a fair shake in the world and let them have access. I, I get that stuff. Not all constraints are bad things. But we also, in addition to having those external constraints that are not all bad, we have internal constraints. I have internal constraints with me. I have this sense of, um, I want to, uh, I, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. That is, there's not a law against that necessarily. That is an internal constraint. That is something inside me that says, this is not the right thing to do. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. Yes, there's a law against that, but I'm not going to do it because I want to be a good citizen of, of my country right? These are internal constraints. We all have them. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to, at this time, I'm going to eat well. I'm going to show up for work. These are things that I do internally that I, constraints I put on myself in order to live a good life, right? And, and, and you do those things too. So not all constraints are bad uh, just because they are constraints, um, we tend to buck against the system and go, man, don't tread on me, don't put these laws on me, don't put these rules on me. But in fact, a lot of those rules, laws, executive orders, or constraints, um, they're actually a good thing. We're finishing up this series today called House Arrest. And we've been talking about life lessons that we've learned under lockdown, about how, um, how, how the Apostle Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, he lived a chunk of his life under lockdown. He, he was um, under house arrest where he couldn't leave, and then he was eventually in jail, which is basically a hole in the ground in Rome in, the, in about the year 62 to 64, somewhere in there. And during this house arrest lockdown time, he wrote four letters that we call the, the prison epistles in the New Testament. And I've been spending some time in there over the last couple months because it's felt like house arrest, what we've experienced with the coronavirus. And so I've been spending some time there, and I wanted to bring to you in this series some lessons from, from his letters uh, of what Paul learned when he was under lockdown, and, and then also some of the things that we've been learning here in our modern context in America about this time on lockdown. And I want to go to Philippians chapter 1, maybe the most joyful letter in the entire Bible, and it was written while he was in lockdown. We were in Philippians 1 two weeks ago and kind of looked at some of the, the concepts there and, and the joy there and, and how he was praying for the church at Philippi even while he was in jail. And I want to pick it up there. Um, Philippians chapter 1, we will start with uh, verse 12. Let me read it to you, and you should have it up on your screen. It says this. Here's what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All right, he's talking about his lockdown. He's talking about uh, his life being in jail. And look at the frame he puts around that. He goes, I want you to know that me being in jail has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, this isn't like lipstick on a pig. This is, he, it's legit. He's going, hey, there's a way to look at this. And the way I'm looking at it is even me in jail is doing something. God is up to something. Even in my jail time, he is advancing the gospel and, and my imprisonment has served to do that. He's like, I'm in jail, fine. I'll tell the guards about Jesus. And he does. Which is point number one I want us to get to. Constraints. 
The constraints that we have, like Paul is under, the constraints help us reframe our situation. If you did a stretch in jail, and maybe you have, what, uh, what thoughts would cross your mind while you're in there? What, what would you think about how your life is going, about your goals, about your dreams, about your hopes? I think if I did a stretch in jail, I would, I would say, like, how did it come to this? Um, why am I here? I would have doubts about God and his plan. God, why did you allow this? This, this sucks. Like, what is going on? Um, how dare you just to a guy like me or whatever, right? I might have all of these things I would tell myself about what it means for my life to end up in jail. And Paul could do all of that too. He's spreading the gospel. He's doing God's work directly. I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. He is doing, doing the work. And yet, him doing that work puts him in a hole in Rome. Um, and, and Paul, in the midst of all that, goes, hey, this is an opportunity. I can tell the people who run the jail about Jesus. God has a plan for me even in this. And when you think about that, it's like, wow, Paul has done some serious mental work there. He's been able to frame this thing up so that it, it serves him and that it's so that he can see a higher purpose even in the hard stuff he's going through. And what I want to tell you is the mental work that Paul does there, the way he reframes that, is the mental work that we also can do, and we also can reframe our situation. And if we would do this regularly, we would look to put a new frame around some situations, I actually think that would change our lives. It would change the way we relate to the world um, and, and, and where we go and what we do. You've probably heard the cliche, I think I first saw it on a refrigerator magnet. It says, uh, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% of what we think about what happens to us. And, and that sounds cliche, but I think it's true. And it occurs to me that most people actually conflate the two things. They say, what happens to me is what I think about it. And so the, the, the facts of the situation and the story we tell ourselves about the situation, we lump those things together like they, they're exact same thing. Paul could, could say, I'm in jail and it's bad. As if that's the facts. I'm in jail and it's bad. And, and if I was in this situation, that's probably what I would do. I would go, I'm in jail. Jail equals bad. This is a bad situation. And, I, and, and that's how I would interpret it. But let's separate out the objective truth and the subjective truth. The objective truth is Paul's in jail. The subjective part of that is, and it's bad. He, he can separate those things out and seize uh, a silver lining. He sees the beauty from the ashes. He sees something in there, and he reframes it even as he's living under constraints. And, and you and I do this kind of thing all the time. We, we tell our stories as if the, the facts and the interpretation are, are the same thing. We say, my husband left me, and it ruined my life. Okay, separate out facts, husband left, ruined my life. That's not necessarily a fact. That's an that's a interpretation. That's a choice that you make with what you're going to do with it. And we all, we all do this. I'm not picking on you in particular or whatever. Like We all do this at different times and in different ways. We, we make these things as if they're all together. You know, for, one for me would be, you know, my dad left when I was 11 and it messed me up. Okay, fact, my dad left when I was 11. Uh, opinion, subjective, it messed me up. Did it mess me up? 
Uh, I mean, I've, I've done some counseling. Uh, I've, I've worked through some issues. Uh, probably still am to, to some degree. Uh, but it messing me up and taking the rest of my life is a choice that I make. It, it, it's an option available to me. It can mess me up if I choose for it to. Um, but it's actually a, a choice that I'm making about the situation. And we do this all the time. We have to recognize that as we face whatever circumstance and whenever we are feeling constrained, we have to recognize that we have choices that we can make about how we frame the situation. One of the most famous sort of leadership guru experts is Dale Carnegie. You've probably heard of him, kind of a famous figure in American history. And um, there's a quote, I I actually teach a class on some of this stuff, and there's a quote that I always use in this class because I love this. It's a little bit long, but hang with me. Let me read it to you. It says this. This is Dale Carnegie. By far, the most important lesson I have ever learned is the importance of what we think. If I knew what you think, I would know what you are. Our thoughts make us what we are. Our mental attitude is the X factor that determines our faith. Emerson said a man is what he thinks about all day long. How could he possibly be anything else? I know now with a conviction beyond all doubt that the biggest problem that you and I have to deal with is choosing the right thought. If we can do that, we will be on the high road to saving all of our, all of our problems. The great philosopher who ruled the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, summed it up in eight words, Our life is what our thoughts make it. Dale Carnegie, leadership guru, genius guy, whatever. Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher, Roman emperor, and the Apostle Paul would agree on this point. Our life is going to be framed by our our thoughts. And you have an opportunity to choose some different thoughts. And, and, and you have an opportunity of, uh, to reframe how you think about your constraints. The Apostle Paul famously had a struggle of his own that he talks about. Uh, it, it is, um, he calls it his thorn in his flesh. And scholars debate what he means when he says, I have this thorn in my flesh that I prayed that God would remove it. He talks about that. And um, I want you to listen to, I want to read it to you, and I want you to listen to how he frames the situation in his head and what he thinks it means. So he's talking about something bad, we would call bad inside him, some weakness, some struggle he has. Listen to how he frames that thing up. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which I like to call 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Listen to what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He's like, I don't want this. I want it to go away. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, listen to this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, get this, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." That's insane. Here's someone going, all this stuff's going to happen, but here's the truth. When I feel weak, God shines through me. When I'm blowing it, when I feel like things are messed up, this is when God does his work. This is what Paul is trying to teach us, that we can, that, that we can reframe 
um, our, our circumstances and understand in the moment even that God's power is at work in us in these circumstances. So, number, so, so that's the first idea, that constraints have a great value and help us reframe our situation. And I've had to think about this with COVID-19. When you run a church and you can't meet together publicly starting March 13th, um, you rethink and reframe what it means to be the church. And maybe you should have done that a long time ago. You, re, you rethink and, and reframe what it means for our family to function. What, what does it mean to, to be healthy when I can't go to the gym? What, is, what, is, what does it mean to eat well when I, you know, you're home and you've got a stocked refrigerator and all that kind of stuff? Like, you, you have to reframe this stuff and, and think through it. The constraint of COVID-19 uh, has, put, has, has put pressure on us. And in that, in that constraint, we can reframe some things and maybe come up with some new solutions. So that's number one, which brings us to number two. Uh, constraints drive us to creativity. I, um, I had the opportunity to write on a, um, I, I took, in college, I took uh, music composition lessons. So I, I had a guitar, and I also did this with piano. And I remember going in to take a lesson, and my, my instructor uh, teaching me composition, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to write something, you know, and just do this stuff, and I'm going to write these great songs, and he's like, here's what I want you to do for your lesson this week. I know there's six strings on a guitar, but I want you to write a song on one string. And I'm like, that's stupid. I, why would I do that? So he's like, yeah, just pick one string. So I'm like, all right, here's the B. I'll just... And I'm like, okay, well, I can do that on one string, but it gets really boring, and, and so when you spend a week trying to write a song on a string, um, it changes some things for you. Because you, you, usually when you have all six strings, your fingers kind of go to rhythms and patterns that you're used to and, and, the, and the, the scales that you know, and you kind of fall into a groove. But when you're forced to write on only one string, you have to get very creative about what you're doing. That is a constraint that drives creativity. He wasn't telling me you're going to write beautiful music on one string. What he was doing was pushing me out of uh, and giving me artificial constraints so that I would learn something new, so that I would become more creative. And I think that's what constraints do for us. The Apostle Paul, think about this, the greatest missionary in, in, of all time. He plants all these churches around the Mediterranean. He spreads the gospel from Jerusalem starting to go out across the whole Roman Empire. Now, if you're a missionary starting churches, the thing you need to do to do your job well is you have to show up. You know, he's not, they don't have internet. He's not going to, like, blast it out with a blog. He's got to show up in the space and tell people about Jesus. Just show up on site and physically start just talking to people about it. And that is the very thing that's taken away from him under lockdown. The one thing you need to do your job, show up there, start churches. He can't do it, and he's in, and he's in jail. And so creativity can't, comes out of that moment. He goes, I'm in jail. I guess I'll start a church with the guards. We'll start one right here. I'll start telling people about Jesus right here in prison. It's amazing. But even more than that, he goes, well, I want to plant the church. I want to see the church grow. I want to see people come to know Christ. I think I'll pick up a, a pen and some parchment or whatever, and I'm going to write letters. And the letters he wrote there next to a candle in a hole in Rome. The letters he wrote, we're still reading today. The letters he wrote have, have been read by billions of people worldwide throughout history, and they've, they've changed lives. 
So Paul's goal of spreading the gospel, one way to look at it is to say it, it, it was so greatly enhanced by his time in jail because it drove him to write and it drove him to, to put this stuff out there that we're still reading today. And I sometimes wonder if Paul sat there in a, in a quiet moment. I mean, I bet he had no idea that that little letter he's writing by candlelight would actually go on to inspire and change the world. And so think about the constraints we have now and the creativity that could come out of this. The virus uh, has meant, um, has, has, has constrained us in a lot of ways. And we can focus on all those. We can focus on the lives that were lost. And I don't want to be flippant about that. The, the people have died. We can focus on um, the, the, the loss of jobs and that people are having a hard time in some cases to put food on the table and and how the economy has taken a downturn because of that. We can focus on that. We can think of all the things that were lost, all the constraints that this put on us. We can think about how someone didn't get their high school graduation back in June and how someone's sports season didn't get to finish or didn't get to happen or, or the parties we didn't get to go to and how prom was canceled. And we can focus on all of the things of life that we are missing. Or we can look at those constraints and go, man, some creative new things are being birthed in this time. What does it look like to have new expressions of my faith when, when the public ones are taken away? What does it look like to have new expressions of the church when you can't do church the way you have? What does it look like to come up with new opportunities for my business because the old ways of doing business didn't work? What does it look like to have new expressions of building community and friendship because the old ways we were doing that just, just don't work anymore? The constraints can bring death for sure, but the constraints can also bring life. And usually... That is your choice that you make about that, about how it's going to, um, how you're going to let it drive you and what creative new things you will uh, build out of that. Uh, I'm not going to spend more time on that. We're going to talk more about creativity next week. Uh, but let me bring you to this final point, or uh, actually point number three, because there's more. Just you wait. Uh, number three, constraints drive us into relationship with our God and with others. You've probably heard the phrase, um, I heard it years ago, where they say uh, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? Foxholes, like in the military, you're waiting to shoot the bad guys, you're down in this hole. And they said there's no atheists in foxholes. Um, I don't know that that's true. There probably are atheists in foxholes. There are probably people who don't believe in God, shooting guns and trying to, you know, trying to get the other guy. I, I get that. But um, I, the idea is this, that, that when pressure is on and the most extreme pressure of life, when that stuff is hitting you hard, um, it's... It, it, who you are under pressure starts coming out of you like sideways in some, in some cases. And when people are put under pressure, what you do find is that people start praying to God. Um, even if they don't believe in him. They're like, okay, uh, this is bad and I might die and this isn't going to work out the way I want. And God, if you are there, if you will just get me out of this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. We start making deals with God. We bargain, we promise, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, I, and I get why we do that, because the, the extreme constraints that we are under, I might lose my life in this moment, uh, drives us to reach out for a God that we may not even believe is, is there. Um, and some of you know exactly what that's like. You, you got drunk one last time, and you prayed to God and it drove you into something like AA. Um, you, you, uh, you, you experience stuff like that. You've had a, a bad breakup and it drove you to search for something greater. You had a, a near-death experience and that was like, oh God, are you there? You, you did jail time and you said, okay, uh, I need to change my life and something needs to happen here. 
Um, it can drive you, the constraints can actually drive you into a relationship with, with God. And you see Paul talking about that. He talks about his imprisonment, and you see his thoughts around relationships. It, it seems as if Paul's imprisonment drove him closer to Jesus. And it seems as if Paul's imprisonment drove him closer to the guards, relationships with them as well. He's like, I will build a church out of these people, and I will stay closer to God. And in some ways, that makes a lot of sense to me. If you threw me into solitary confinement, I would cling to Jesus because Jesus is all I have. Or if you threw me into jail and I was, and I was cut off from relationships that I had previously had, I would, I would lean into others, and I would try to build relationships and friendships with people ar- around me. The COVID constraints... Uh, they've been on our family, like I'm sure your family has felt as well, especially during the, the, the front stages of, of, of more of the quarantine, lockdown kind of stuff. Um, it, it took away a lot of things in our family's schedule that we just couldn't do anymore. It was um, can't do sports. That was a big thing for a couple of my boys. Uh, some of the music stuff got canceled. Some of the end-of-the-year stuff for school got canceled. Like, um, And... I don't know about you, but we didn't spend a lot on gas money for our car for a couple months because we're just like, well, there's nowhere to go. Nothing's open. Um, And those constraints of all these things closing around us drove us as a family. There's five people in my home. Drove us more together. Um, We had to hang out more, you know. Uh, I guess it's board game night or something. Like we were uh, together a little more than probably we had been. And And I think... Um, as a, that I will look back on that as, a, as actually a, a, a pretty sweet time in, in some ways, that I got to be around more the people that I, that I love. And in that sense, COVID has felt like a gift. Um, now, I, I, know, I know that's not true of everybody. I know some people live alone, that, so it, the, the, the isolation has been really hard. I understand that. Um, but in, in, in my family, um, I'm framing that to say, hey, I think that there was really great things that, that happened here. I think what COVID has done is highlighted the fact that we all live under constraints. Um, we all have them. You have a constraint of money. You don't have an endless supply of it, and unless your name is Jeff Bezos, right? You just, you don't have all the money, uh, and that's a good thing. Sometimes having an endless supply of money goes very badly for most people, right? The fact that money is a constraint stops us from spending money on some stupid things that might be trouble for us. And in addition to constraint of money, all of us have a constraint of time. That life is short, that time is precious, and we only have so much of it to use. And one of the things COVID has reminded me, probably through you know, knowing people that have died and, 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 and kind of that whole thing, it's been a reminder to me that, that there's a constraint of time for all of us, that, that life is short and that, and that death is coming. Uh, the virus reminds us that nothing is guaranteed in life. I think about my sons. My boys are 17, 15, and 13. And um, sheltering at home with them is, is generally pretty fun. Uh, they're interesting and they're funny, and they get along fairly well. Uh, depends on the day. Uh, and, and, I, and I have felt during, during the sheltered home time for the people who have really little kids because they're difficult, right? They're like challenging and kind of wear you out. But, but my family's been, been pretty fun. Um, and I'm at the space in parenting where I'm sort of like counting the time that I have left with them, not the time that, that we have had. You start thinking about, oh, wait a second, 17, 15, 13, this, 
this like them living under my roof thing, theoretically, that's going to end fairly soon. And it's gone by pretty quickly, it seems. And, and I think the constraints of COVID have just been a reminder that, that, that life is short, that, that time is short. And, and, and I don't want to rush through and, and miss what I have right in front of me. I'm counting the time I have left. I, I heard this quote this week, um, and I just want to warn you right now, if you're a parent, this quote will mess you up. Um, sorry, uh, but I thought it was good, and um, yeah, I heard it this week, and I was like, yeah, there, there's something there. And so let me just share this with you. It says this, we are rushing through the 18 summers we get from them at home. We are rushing through the few hundred breakfasts before they are sullen, hormonal teenagers. We are rushing out early in the fourth quarter to beat traffic in one of the last football games we'll be able to see together before they have kids of their own. We are rushing towards an uncertain future, one in which we might have cancer, in which a war might break out, or one in which we might be much, much busier with work than we are now. I don't know what the future holds, but I need to make the most of the time that we have now because this is what I've got. This is what you have. We need to lean into relationships. And I think one of the greatest constraints God has given us is that he has constrained our time. He has said, you only have this much. And the very fact that we don't know how much we have is a is a powerful thing and is actually a motivating thing. If, if you had all the time in the world, if you're like me, my guess is you would never get serious about your life. You would just kind of go, well, tomorrow, next day, I'll do it again some other time. Um, it is the very fact that we have constraints that drives us forward and makes us get serious, which brings me to my last point. I, I swear this is the last one, number four. Death is the ultimate constraint, and even that isn't the end. Listen to Paul further down in, in that same chapter, Philippians 1. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. And he says in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Jesus Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this very famously, for to me, for to, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who sees death as gain? Who can view it that way? Who would say, you know, it's better if I'm dead? I, it, it occurs to me there's two, two groups of people that might see death as gain. One are people who are suicidal, right? That's part of the motivation. They would go, oh, I want to take my life because that's going to be better for me. It, it, it's not better, and it's not better for anyone around you. It's, it's not a solution, but that's kind of the mindset people get into is go, this is going to be better than the situation that I'm in. But secondly, a group of people who, would, who, who could say what Paul says, that death is gain, uh, are, are believers in Jesus. Because they, they look at the situation, they size it up, and they go, heaven is better than this. Eternity is better than this. Being with God in person is, is better than this. Like, all of this is a warm-up for the real game, which is eternity in paradise and heaven with God. Uh, that is what is coming. So actually, when I die, there's great gain to be had. There's something coming. Now, if you read on with Paul here in Philippians 1, he doesn't say he wants to die. He says, I'm torn. Like, 
I have things to do that I want to do here, and I want to do them, and I want to be alive for your sake, he tells the church at Philippi. I want, to, I want to pour into you. But I also know that when I die, the good things are coming. This is a guy writing from a hole in jail. And he's saying, and, and he's got to know, like, the end is near. This is, I'm getting old, I'm in jail, the Romans, it's the Caesar. Like, it's not going to, this does not end well for me. And he says, I think there's actually gain in this. And it's so powerful to live as Christ, to die as gain. If we may understand that intellectually, but if we would understand that in our hearts, um, I, think that's a, I think that's a total game changer. And this has been maybe one of my biggest concerns during COVID-19 this year. Um, our country is, is not war-torn. Uh, our country has had a pretty good economy. Um, and we have a ton of entertainment. There's a lot of distractions and the upshot of all of that um, stability and leisure is that we don't come face-to-face with the hard stuff, the stuff that really grows us and shapes us. We, we don't come face-to-face with death. We, we ignore it. We pretend it's not, it's not coming. We don't talk about it. And I think one thing that's happened with the virus this year is that it brought death near to us. And what that has shown, if I'm, reading the, if I'm reading the culture right, if I could put my finger up in the wind and tell which way the wind is blowing, what I see is a lot of fear about death and a lot of anxiety from people. Uh, that, we're, that, that maybe it's uh, people's biggest fear is, is dying. And I get that. Death feels final. And it often feels sad. And truthfully, it feels wrong. And even Jesus wept at death. He thought it was wrong too. It was an intruder that comes in when you don't expect it and steals the most precious thing, life. It steals it from you. And I get that. I mean, the truth is, I don't want to die. Um, I have things I want to live for. I have things I want to see. There's more to do, more to accomplish, more to pour into other people. But the truth is, death is coming for me too. At some point, I don't know if it's this year, 10 years, 40 years from now. I, I, I don't know, but it's coming. And in that, my hope has to be somewhere of what I believe is going to happen. And my hope is placed in Jesus. That because he died and came back from the dead, I will too. And I was baptized into him. I gave my life to him, and, and that's what I believe, and that's what I'm following. And that's my challenge to you is to believe that as well. Place your hope in him. Don't place your hope in a vaccine I don't even know if that's coming, and I'm pretty sure not everybody will take it. Um, don't place your hope in the next person's the, the exact right person I need to date. Don't place your hope in my kids will turn out great, and that'll be everything for me. Don't place your hope in the career advancement or a rise in the stock market. Place your hope in the creator of the universe. So look, if you haven't been baptized, if you go to area10church.com connect, that is a connection card that we have, whether you're here in person or watching online. We want you to fill that card out. Let us know that you are here. And you have the opportunity to be baptized on there. One of the, like I have decided, and there's a decision thing at the bottom there, you can say, I'd like to get baptized, and we'll reach out to you and talk to you about that. And, and you can make that decision to, to pass from, from, from death into new life with Christ and become a new creation is what the scripture says you will become. Give your life to him. We can baptize you. We can talk about that this week. Um, maybe that's the right next step for you. But if you have been baptized and you've given your life to Christ, um, let's, let's go. Let's, let's embrace the constraints that we're under um, because we're all under them and, and they can actually be life-giving. 
Tim Keller, let me sum it up this way. Uh, author and pastor Tim Keller, he says it this way. He says, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. But think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is free only if it's restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon even to live is destroyed. The fish is not more free, but less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. The same is true with airplanes and birds. If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. The reason I follow Jesus, the reason I believe in Christianity and and submit myself to its rules, its, its constraints, its laws, its executive orders, the reason I submit to all of that is I think Christianity um, gives us the, the right constraints to live under, um, the ones that fit our nature and fit the, sort of the blueprint of humanity of what we are trying to be in the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the constraints that we live under. May they drive us to be creative. May they drive us into your arms. May they drive us into relationship with one another and so we can build community. Um, and God, right now, for someone who needs a reframe, I pray this morning has given them the courage to go down that road, to start that, to do that. Um, help us to be people who um, look for your hand and, and your handiwork in all that we do, and even in the hard stuff. God, we know that um, you can make the crooked path straight. We ask that you do so, in, in, even in this year, in 2020. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.